Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, we've been considering what Scripture says about the Creator. We've looked at several New Testament passages so far, Mm -hmm. and in particular, we've seen in Peter's epistles that he makes statements about the Creator in both 1st and 2nd Peter. That's right, Scott. In 1st Peter... Chapter 4, verse 19, he makes a very direct statement about our Creator. Quote, Therefore, let those also who suffer, according to the will of God, entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. Unquote. And in his second letter, which was actually like his last will and testament, he reminds us all that God created the heavens and the earth by his word by simply speaking them into existence, in other words. And it's noteworthy that Peter would choose to include these things he says in chapter 3 about the Creator and his creation when these were his final words, in a sense. Yes, God, and just so everyone understands how we know that, go ahead and read what Peter says at the beginning of his second letter. Okay, I'm reading from the NIV translation in the first chapter, verses 12 through 15. There Peter writes, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Now, it's obvious. I mean, Peter is talking as though he understands he's not going to be long for this earth. And now that Peter writes this in this short final letter, we would understand that he certainly considers these things to be most important to remind everyone of. And part of his message is that reminder of the power of God. And that's not only in creation, but in judgment. And how he does this is in chapter 3, he warns us about those who will mock the word of God and scoff at his promises. So, Scott, go ahead and continue reading from the NIV, starting at chapter 3, verse 4. They will say... Where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. So notice it says the scoffers deliberately forget that God simply spoke the heavens and earth into existence. I really like that translation, that they deliberately forget. However, Peter continues to describe even more of what they forget. And he explains that something we need to remember is God's perspective on time is very different from ours. He actually refers to what Moses says in Psalm chapter 90 and points out that we are extremely limited in our grasp and use of time, but the Creator is not. So I'm going to read Psalm 90. This is the psalm written by Moses, Psalm 90, verses 2 through 4. Moses says, Before the mountains were born, or thou didst give birth to the earth and the world. Notice that that's where he's referring to God as the Creator. Or thou didst give birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting. Thou art God. Thou dost turn man back into dust, and dost say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in thy sight are like yesterday when it passes by, 
or as a watch in the night. Now, Scott, do you know how long a watch in the night is? Isn't it six hours? Yes, I think there were four watches in a day. In other words, six hours each. So a watch in the night is certainly just a matter of hours, just part of a day. And so Moses says of the Creator, from his perspective, a thousand years is like a few hours. And that is the idea then that Peter refers to in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, when he essentially quotes Moses and says this, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Now, Scott, earlier I pointed out that I liked the NIV translation of chapter 3, verse 5. Now, I'd like you to read what I just read there, chapter 3, verse 8 from the NIV. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Now, did you notice the difference between the New American Standard and the NIV there, Scott? Yes, the New American Standard said specifically one day is as a thousand years. Precisely. And also a thousand years as one day. And I suggest this is a significant difference. The difference between a day and one day Because in the Greek language that Peter is writing in, the specific word for the number one is used by Peter in this text. And that numerical adjective carefully specifies then that he's describing a normal, we would say, 24-hour day. And so the comparison he's making is between two specific periods of time, a normal rotation of the earth once on its axis, that's 24 hours, and the orbit of the earth around the sun a thousand times, that's a thousand years. Now, again, the point Peter is making is that to the creator, these two drastically different periods of time as we perceive them are the same to him. But Have you ever talked to someone, Scott, who cites this verse that we're discussing to then make the argument that the word day used in Genesis chapter 1 doesn't mean a literal day because Peter says a day can mean a thousand years? Well, I've heard that argument before. I don't know if I've ever heard it in a personal discussion with someone. Mm -hmm. I would have several responses. I mean, one would be to say, okay, all you've done is add 7,000 years to the timeline, (laughs) and you've also suggested that Jesus spent 40,000 years in the desert fasting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now, those are some interesting interpretations. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I have had lots of discussions with people, virtually, I'm not going to say everybody that interprets Genesis chapter 1 not to be six literal days and then the seventh day of God resting, but so often they'll cite this 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 8 as a defining verse Mm -hmm. to mean that the word day doesn't mean 24 hours, or at least it doesn't have to mean that in the Bible. And frankly, I'm not going to say that it has to mean that, but the context of the word day is crucial for our understanding of what it means, whether it means the condition of light or a period of time unspecified or a 24-hour period. And actually, here in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, The way Peter uses the word day reinforces the meaning of the word, not only here in 2 Peter chapter 3, but in Genesis 1. Because there and everywhere else in the Bible, when a number is used to describe the word day, like seven days or 40 days, whatever, the context will show that a literal day is meant. So in Genesis chapter 1, at the end of each day, it says one day. A second day, a third day, the numerical adjective defines, describes the word day. And in those cases, what we should understand is without exception in the Bible, when the word day is defined by a number, 
It means a literal 24-hour day. Especially important, the example of Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, right in the heart of the Ten Commandments. Notice what it says. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. And of course, in this context, what God is doing is he's setting up the seven-day week, as, yeah. as we understand it. My understanding is every culture in the world has a seven-day week. That is just strange. I mean, why would you pick that number of days? (laughs) Well, because from the ancient of days, you know, we've gotten this seven-day week with one day for rest. So anyway, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, he is not defining or redefining (laughs) the meaning of the word day in the first chapter of the Bible any more than it changes what Moses was talking about in Psalm 90 when he compares yesterday and a thousand years in God's sight. The lesson Peter is making is the creator does things in his own time. And though we may get impatient, that does not change one bit the certainty of his promises. And what's really cool in this passage we're studying in 2 Peter chapter 3, we are given the explanation for why God is waiting for so long in our minds to return the second time, which will actually be in judgment. This is Peter's explanation for why the Lord is tarrying these thousands of years, 2,000 since the Lord Jesus went back to the Father, and multiple more thousand years since he sent the great flood as judgment. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 then, Peter goes on to explain, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So notice, God is waiting and waiting, not because he's sort of forgotten what's going on or he can't actually fulfill his promise, but he's patient. He's waiting for more people to get saved. These very scoffers we've been talking about. Right. Who knows? Some of those, and we trust that maybe, Scott, who knows, maybe as a result of the Scripture on Creation program, some people will listen and finally be willing to acknowledge that the theory of evolution can't explain where everything came from. The Word of God over and over again demonstrates its trust worthiness, and maybe they'll come around and they'll repent and they'll get saved. That's one of the purposes of the Scripture on Creation program, as well as, of course, to encourage the believers to wait, to be patient, mm-hmm. and to keep hanging in there with their unsaved relatives because God is waiting. And maybe it's that uncle, maybe it's that son or daughter that will come around and get saved before the Lord does indeed come in judgment. But then Peter goes on to remind us that his patience will someday come to an end. Remember that, listener. His patience will run out, and when it does, it will be too late. Chapter 3, verse 10 then says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. So note that as sure as the Creator had the power to speak the heavens and earth into existence, and as sure as He judged the wicked world with the flood in the days of Noah, the Creator will again cause a destruction, this time with fire, only to then create a new heavens and earth, which is what it says a few verses later in verse 13. But according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so there's another reminder to the believer of what it is that we're waiting for, what we are hoping for. We're hoping for this new heavens and a new earth after the resurrection. 
But what Peter does, as so often we see in the Bible, whenever we're given that reminder of the hope of the resurrection, there is virtually in every case that I've ever found in the New Testament an application. It's not just, oh, great, I'll sit around the by and by and everything will be great someday. There's always an application of how should we then live. And so I want to go back to verse 11. Peter says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? And then he points out this promise of hope that we have. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. So there's the explanation again. The Lord is tarrying not because he can't fulfill his promise. It says, regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. And that's not what I say. That's what scripture says.